0: Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome back to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And we've got two incredible No Kid Hungry Champions with us today. I'm really thrilled to be having this conversation with Doug Van Develd, who's General Manager of Ready to Eat Cereal at Kellogg, has had a long career there since 1997, and has been somebody who has been steering Kellogg in support of many good causes, including the No Kid Hungry campaign, and our school breakfast work. Doug, thanks for being with us.
1: Sure, Billy. Great to be here.
0: And we have also joined by a friend who's been on this podcast before, Tanya Holland from Brown Sugar Kitchen uh, and the author of New Soul Cooking. Uh, Tanya, you've been involved with Share Our Strength for quite some time, from visiting schools to helping us raise money, to lobbying uh, at the state capitol in Sacramento, uh, California. Uh, You're dealing with uh, everything that's going on now as both a restaurateur uh, and what a a challenging time we're living in uh, for restaurateurs. And of course, with the economic fallout from COVID-19 that uh, the Share Our Strength and No Get Hungry campaign are trying to do something about. So thanks so much for being with us.
2: Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Uh,
0: Tanya, you know us well. I want to start with you and just get a kind of a picture uh, before we turn to Doug and talk about some of the great work that Kellogg's doing, just get a picture from you since you've known uh, us and and the, the need in the community around childhood hunger issues for so long. Uh, give us a sense of what it looks like, what's going on in your community economically right now. And we should say that you're in Oakland, California.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, there's always been challenges in Oakland. There's a lot of food deserts. Um, you know, in the, the the neighborhoods that are away from most of the commercial districts. So West Oakland and East Oakland, um, the kids aren't in school. Most of them don't have the, you know, the good fortune of having, you know, parents that can homeschool them. I can only imagine, um, you know, what the situation is for them as far as feeding themselves, you know, and, um, even if they were relying on corner stores, those aren't open probably. Um, so, you know, having visited the schools where No Kid Hungry has provided breakfasts and lunches and seeing the reaction of those kids and what a great effect it has on on their attention, on their performance. Um, it's just, yeah, it's scary to think what's going on out there. I You know, I, I don't know directly because I have been really focused on trying to sustain my business in whatever form COVID is allowing us to do. Um, So that's, yeah, but it's, it's a real, it's a real concern.
0: And and tell us about your uh, business. Uh, How have you managed to keep things going? What did you have to do with your staff? I I don't know of, I don't think any restaurateurs that have been able to keep their whole team in place. What's it been like for you?
2: Yeah. So, you know, as soon as uh, we went, until lockdown and we let go of pretty much all of the hourly staff and we had a small management team and later let go of some you know higher level managers because it just wasn't uh affordable and stain- sustainable based on the business we were going to do we started off with um takeout and it was a real slow build i started doing some marketing started a facebook group that was local Um, to just, you know, kind of promote whatever I was cooking, really abbreviated the menu. um, And then it started kind of picking up. And actually, once um, the protest started and an increase in support for Black-owned businesses, I mean, we've just been doing pre-COVID numbers. So I'm really grateful to have the community support. I think, um, you know, people realize what I've been able to give back to the community. So they're here supporting me. I mean, it's the old saying, what comes around goes around. And, um, I'm just, yeah, I'm grateful that and hopeful, uh, that all of this just gives everybody a new perspective on, you know, the efforts that are being made, the fragility of the restaurant business, um, especially, but also the contribution that we make to the economy. Um, and uh, there's just so much, you know, for people to, I think, the, the general public to, to kind of have a little bit more of a bird's eye view into our industry. Well,
0: Doug, you are a good example of somebody who uh, has found ways to use a position in the private sector and in the private sector related to food to make a really big impact in the community and share our strength in our No Kid Hungry campaign for many, many years, really from the beginning has been built on the conviction that uh, those who make their livelihoods from feeding people would feel a connection to the issue of hunger. And that certainly turned out to be the case with uh, Kellogg. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about um, just how you ended up doing what you're doing in the first place. And then I want to talk about the impact it's having on our work. Uh, How did you end up at Kellogg and what's been your career trajectory?
1: Oh, that's great. Um, Yeah, interesting. You know, I've worked on a lot of uh, great brands over the years and have a real passion for brands and especially now more than ever feel like brands need to uh, do good in the world. So I started um, my career at Procter & Gamble uh, right out of school, worked on great brands there, Um, Crest Toothpaste, Scope Mouthwash, you know, just uh, good, broadly appealing, all all family products. But you know, always struck by um the focus on uh on consumers, the focus on innovation, how to bring new better things to consumers, uh, and you know, and, and company culture and, and how to make a difference in your communities. I was there at PG for about 10 years, then came to Kellogg uh 23 years ago. So I've been at Kellogg now 23 years. And what's amazing about Kellogg is the culture, the people. It's just a company full of people who care. Uh, comes from our, our heritage, our founder, uh, W.K. Kellogg, and his values, and that still permeates the company today. So it's one of those things you never think you're going to stay somewhere for 23 years, but uh, I have and uh, just really enjoyed it and, and mostly enjoyed the culture.
0: And describe your uh, responsibilities there. I, I uh, think titled you as General Manager of Ready to Eat Cereal, and um, I can't even imagine what it looks like inside Kellogg in terms of the way things are organized around different products, but um, give us a sense of, of your division.
1: Yeah, I mean, cereal is uh, one of our big businesses in the United States. Uh, we have it globally as well, but the United States is the biggest cereal business. And so, you know, we have a team of people across multi uh, functions, disciplines, and together as a team, we are responsible for all of the sales, marketing, supply chain, uh, everything that has to do with, uh, with meeting consumer needs in cereal. Um, it's a, uh, you know, it's a dynamic business. We've got a lot of tremendous brands, brands, people grew up with frosted flakes and raisin bran and frosted mini wheats, fruit loops, uh, rice krispies, you know, all brands that people know. And it's kind of an, an honor to carry on that, uh, that legacy and, and try and add to it.
0: Well, I was just about to ask you, because as Tanya knows, we'd like to talk food on this podcast. Have you got a, uh, have you got a favorite? <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I eat cereal all day long. So I would say my favorite breakfast cereal is definitely frosted mini wheats. Uh, tons of fiber, great taste, uh, very satiating. I eat cereal um, a lot for lunch as well. And there's a, there's a cereal we have that's you know, not our biggest brand, but it's amazingly delicious food called Cracklin' Oat Brand. I don't know if you've ever tried that. It's great as a snack. Have you had that, Tanya? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that's so good. Yeah. yeah, really good.
2: Oh, I remember yep. the crackling oat brand. Yep. You don't even need milk. You just eat it out of the box.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. I have that sometimes as a side with my sandwich or my soup for lunch. And then for dinner, uh, or usually after dinner more, I treat myself to a big bowl of Frosted Flakes.
0: Oh, that'd be a good dessert. Um, so
1: <laughs> really good.
0: Tanya. Uh, when I think of brown sugar kitchen, of course, brown sugar makes me think of, uh, oatmeal, but I've also found out that, uh, most of the chefs that we've talked to on this podcast are really uh, terrible when it comes to breakfast. It's usually a cup of coffee. Uh, how about for you?
2: Yep. Um, I usually skip breakfast and it's funny because, you know, i am known for breakfasts and brunch. Um, and either, either I'm skipping it or I'm making like, you know, I'm taking the time to make eggs and something really savory. Um, I definitely have had my cereal days, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, breakfast is kind of a minimum, you know, for me right now. I don't know. Could be, I could be better. <laughs> but I know how important it is, especially, you know, to young,
0: young people. So um, speaking of young people and the, the kids we try and serve, Doug, how did uh, the kind of the philanthropic and the community end of your work come about? Was that in place when you got there? Were you uh, also involved in shaping it? I know Kellogg's has a great uh, Better Days program. Um, what uh, what has been your priority?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, as a as a company, uh, as I said, you know, philanthropy is built into our values and, and we do a lot as a company. Our Better Days program, you know, as you mentioned, really drives positive change. Uh, we're going to try and uh, reach three billion people by the end of 2030 and and, uh, and drive Better Days. Um, But I think the thing that was interesting um, and that I really enjoyed is that, you know, as I started to go through my career in Kellogg, it just became more and more clear to me that brands, not companies, but the brands within companies need to uh, have a purpose and need to be able to do good in the world. Um, I remember coming to Cereal and I started learning, this was in about 2010, and I started learning about the issue of food insecurity. And it was just Amazing to me that a company with the or that a country with the resources uh, like the United States could have the pervasive level of food insecurity that we have. It's just I I couldn't believe the numbers. You know, I think uh, back then it was one in five kids live in hunger in America, and kids, so many kids, have to go to school without breakfast. And I just remember feeling very. as a food company, feeling that we need to do something about that, and that's when we really started to work in this area. And you know, we've got a longstanding partnership uh, working on the No Kid Hungry campaign. And I just think it's a way for uh, for brands to really uh, make a difference and uh, have really m- not just me, but you know, my team—they're motivated to work on things like this because they see the difference that it makes in people's lives. Well, one
0: question that I have for for both of you. Uh, because you come at it from different uh, but also similar perspectives is I I know you both well enough to know that you do this because it's simply the right thing to do and you want to be having an impact. My question is um, whether it's uh, Kellogg and the brands or whether it's Tanya's work in the community, do your customers know it? Are they able to distinguish uh, a lot of folks are just looking for a great tasting cereal or a great meal uh, at your restaurant, Tanya. Um, and it, has it become a differentiator or is that still a, a work in progress?
2: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when they, like, for instance, with the takeout, the interaction with the customers is, you know, minimized. But uh, if I'm handing someone their food, and I, I, I mean, at this point, you know, I'm thanking everyone who comes, who makes an effort to come and support because, you know, it's a choice they make to, and a risk they take to expose themselves right now. And, you know, probably like seven times out of 10, they, they respond, thank you for what you do for the community. They're very aware, you know, that I've given back a lot. Um, they're very aware of my, uh, work with No Kid Hungry, um, and the food banks because of, um, you know, the media pieces that we've done together. And I always, uh, you know, also put it out on social media, just to make people more aware of the organizations. um, And just let them know that, yeah, I'm not just here, you know, to capitalize. Um, It's just important for me to, yeah, be able to feed people on any level.
0: Uh, And how about for you, Doug? I know the cereal box can be valuable real estate in terms of explaining what the company's values are and the types of partnerships that they're involved in. Uh, Do you get a sense that your customers, uh, at least some percentage of them, uh, get what you're doing in the community?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, a lot of them get it. And, you know, the more and more uh, I think people expect it. You know, I think people expect brands to. Have a purpose and to and to give back and to to make the world a better place. So they definitely recognize it. I, I see a lot of people choosing brands because of the kinds of things they're doing in this space. You know, I mean, good example of that is you know we partnered with um, with your team the and uh, No Kid Hungry on this Giving Tuesday now, where we used our social platforms and our social footprint on our brands to encourage uh, consumers to match. Uh, to donate to uh, No Kid Hungry and that we would match some of those donations. And literally, you know, in 24 hours, you know the numbers, we raised over $700,000. And that's just by brands using their social footprint and their reach to help, um, you know, drive awareness uh, with consumers of things that, you know, they really feel uh, moved to do something about.
0: That was by far the biggest Giving Tuesday we've ever had and was just a huge boost to our efforts around, the No Kid Hungry campaign. And as as you both know, one of the reasons that these dollars that you've both helped us raise are so critical right now is we're engaged in this. Um, I mean, it really, frankly, feels like a Herculean task of trying to replace um, all of the school meals programs that kids depended on since their schools are closed. They closed because of COVID. Now they're closed in the summer anyway. Uh, but if you think about 30 million kids who are depending on school for breakfast and lunch, um, 22 million of the 30 million getting free or reduced-priced meals there, Uh, suddenly having to recreate that through grab-and-go sites uh, near the schools or at the schools or with partnering uh, community organizations. It's, uh, needless to say, it's been an expensive proposition. As of uh, this morning, we've granted out $22 million to 800 school districts, schools, uh, and other nonprofits that are engaged in replacing these meals. It's the, you know, and this is just in the last, uh, eight or nine weeks that, uh, we've granted out this 22 million and that's on top of, uh, you know, an ongoing effort and an ongoing budget of another 75 to $80 million that we, we spend every year just to make the school meals programs work. So, um, uh, uh, that's a long way of saying thank you, uh, Doug, and to thank you to Kellogg for, you know, the impact that you've had and for all the new supporters that you've brought to us. Um, we're seeing it every day in uh, the faces of kids who are um, getting these meals that in many cases their parents are standing in line for to, to bring back home. So it's, it's it's really been very powerful and really grateful for your leadership on this.
1: Yeah, it's great work that you guys do, Billy. It really is great work. I mean, it's an absolute... Uh, real need in in communities that real people have, and you've given people like us, companies and brands like us, a way to 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 mobilize and to give back and to actually make a difference. So we appreciate our partnership.
0: Well, uh, you know, one of the things that we talk about at Share Our Strength a lot, and we've got a young staff, and a number of them have asked me if we've ever lived through a time like this, and um, and I'll I'll ask you two to help me answer it. My answer has been no. This has just really been remarkable between what we're dealing with, uh, with the COVID uh, and the pandemic, uh, and over the last number of weeks, the um, very important increased awareness to Black Lives Matter. Um, It seems like everybody is expecting um, businesses, individuals and others to play a, a greater role in community. Tanya, you mentioned a moment ago, that um, that there was an increased attention uh, in a very positive way for the work that you're trying to do to Black-owned businesses. And I wanted to ask you how you felt that translated in the wake of, of, of uh, George Floyd's killing and the uh, alignment around social justice and racial justice issues. There's a connection that we've been trying to make that share our strength so people understand that. The the tie between systemic racism and hunger and poverty, uh, but it sounds like uh, you've personally experienced this uh, notion of uh, wanting uh, the community wanting to support black owned businesses.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, Oakland has a history of activism as well as um, you know a, a more of an awareness um, of these issues because. Of the predominantly black um, population that settled here, with the porters, and then the Black Panthers were here. Um, so we've always had support. But you know, I've been talking about my story and my challenges for decades, and I think um, you know, a lot, uh, most of the African American people that I talk to, they get it, but non African American people. They don't understand it because they see me as accomplishing things, but um, they don't have the perspective of how, you know, I feel like, but I could have accomplished so much more had um, I had equal opportunities. And, and I have a lot of privilege myself and, you know, a lot of advan- advantages because of um, where I grew up, how I grew up, my education, and yet still not the same opportunities as, you know, my, uh, white counterparts, male counterparts, you know? Um, so it's, it's just been great to have people come around now and say like, Oh, you know, now we realize, you know, how challenging this has been for you. Uh, you were marginalized in West Oakland. This is where you belong. And, um, you know, my landlord has been incredibly supportive and, um, it's just, um, yeah, there's a lot of you know new opportunities just because of the, the heightened awareness. Um, so it's unfortunate that you know these kind of the rep- repetition of the police brutality um, and the senseless loss of lives is what it took. Um, but it's inspiring and hopeful because I'm seeing this younger generation really going for this change and you know refusing to let down. Um, and they also, you know, they, they vandalize the places either side of me and, um, you know, just kept walking by my place. So, um, that says a lot.
0: <laughs> I remember a conversation you and I had, uh, probably a, a year ago, and I'm, I may be dated in terms of how things have, uh, developed, but you were talking to me about, uh, some of the challenges, uh, as a woman of color in getting uh, the kind of investment you needed to expand your business. And I, I think you said, you know, you just walk into a lot of uh, banks and other uh, investment institutions where they have just not seen uh, a person like you that they, they're there. That's not been their typical investment pattern. And uh, hopefully we're living in a moment now where we're able to start to overcome that.
2: Yeah. I mean, let's let's hope so. And, you know, it's I mean, with restaurants, it's not I even mean, banks, it's investment groups, investors. And, um, uh, I just, you know, want to be able to, I feel that I have, you know, a great chance of being, um, an example for future generations, but you know, I have to, if I don't get there, I'm not sure who can come up you know, behind me and feel like they can get there because I've definitely put in the time and, um, you know, have the credentials. And so I, I just, you know, that's what motivates me to keep going. It's like, wait, let me get there. So then somebody else will feel hopeful. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, I just, I really do hope that the change is happening and, you know, I, I have since we spoke last, um, you know, found more support financially. Um, but it did take partnering with, you know, uh, a male who is not African-American and, uh, Um, you know, that's just, you know, you have to do what you have to do if you're, if you want to accomplish things, you know, and, um, I mean, I think everybody should work together anyways, but it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. Yep.
0: Yep. Uh, would love to get a sense from both of you of just, uh, since you're on the ground and have a bird's eye view of business and the economy, are we starting to, does it feel like we're starting to come out of COVID, um, I don't know, Doug, I probably should, whether uh, Kellogg, I know some kind of grocery channel saw an uptick in their business since uh, so many folks like me were eating all of their meals at home for the last number of months. W- what's your sense of uh, whether we're getting back to a place uh, of more economic viability for, for the community and the country?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's been quite a roller coaster, you know, the last uh, three months or so. I mean, when the, the COVID pandemic first started, there was a certain sense of obligation in our company to help secure the food supply, you know, um, that people were going to be at home. They were run on grocery stores and, and people needed to get all their food at home. And so our business really surged and you know there was a feeling within our um manufacturing organization within our total company that we had a an obligation uh to uh help feed the nation you know and um really had an unbelievable performance by our supply chain to produce more cereal than we have in a very very long time and and again yeah all of that cereal has been bought and eaten by consumers who have to stay home essentially uh for the last uh for the last 3 months so Um, I think we've seen that elevated level of demand now. Um, It starts to um, subside a little bit as states start to reopen, but I do still think there's a certain level of uncertainty in people. Uh, There's still some apprehension. And so um, I don't think we're out of the woods yet, uh, clearly at all. I think there's another side of our business, which is the side that services uh, food service away from home restaurants. Uh, Obviously, as Tanya has been saying, there's been a massive shift there the other direction. I think we're definitely a company that supports the restaurant industry. In fact, we, um, had a program not too long ago where we gave every employee the ability, um, to, uh, have a hundred dollars from the company to go out and eat at a local restaurant, you know, takeout, obviously, but, uh, to try and support local restaurants, every, every employee got a hundred dollars from the company. So trying to, to see that side of, uh, of what's happening in the economy as well. So, you know, I think, um, we're starting to see some change there in that respect as states start to reopen. Uh, but a lot of those uh, in-home behaviors uh, and in-home eating uh, is still happening from, from our standpoint.
0: And Doug, when you talk about uh, feeling this kind of you know, responsibility to help secure the food supply chain, uh, what's that look like? I mean, do you, make, do you end up making phone calls or sending emails talking about how we need to increase production? How does, how does something on such a massive scale even unfold?
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, this is one of the characteristics of our culture. We're full a company full of people who care. So, you know, you get the right people in a room and you say, Hey, instead of producing X amount of cereal, we need to produce twice that amount. What will it what will it take for that to happen? All in the context of our first priority, which is to keep people safe. But um but we were able to do that. Uh, we were able to really rally people. Uh, and people really felt a sense of company pride about producing you know, more than we ever have. So people had um, the ability to, to, to eat at home.
0: Uh, Tanya, what about um, in Oakland? I know California still has quite a few hot spots in terms of where the virus is surging. Do you feel like things are uh, loosening up, getting better? Everyone's still on guard? What's, what's it look like from the ground?
2: Yeah, well, Friday, last Friday, um, certain places were able to begin the cafe outdoor seating. And I've passed by a few places. It looks like, you know, people just couldn't wait to to just get out of their own spaces. Um, We don't don't have that capacity yet, but we're working on it. Um, I'm seeing more traffic. Um, My understanding is that uh, tasting rooms are opening up in the wine countries. So I think, you know, we're getting there. I mean, we're all eager to, it's, you know, it's such an economy based on eating the bounty of the, you know, the California, um, you know, the, the food that's grown here and um, produced here. So I just, yeah, we're we're hopeful, but right now we're just doing takeout at, at our, at Bounchery Kitchen.
0: Uh, and I'm assuming you weren't even doing that at first. It probably took a some period of time to get that going?
2: Well, you know, I had inventory, so I actually pivoted really quickly. And the first week we gave away a bunch of food because I had perishables, you know, I had not planned on closing. And I just, I refused to have food waste. Um, So that's just something I'm really passionate about. So we we got going pretty quickly. And then, you know, it just took a while to kind of iron out the kinks. And it's still such a challenge with all the packaging and the packing of the food, which is not, you know, what this facility was designed to do. Um, So that's, you know, that's the part that is challenging. And again, people might not understand the restaurant was not designed to be, you know, a fast food takeout operation.
0: Um, You know, speaking to two champions for the no kid hungry campaign, what's your advice on what we can do? to get more people involved in this work. Um, we've been blessed with a lot of great corporate partners. Kellogg is, you know, very high, if not at the top of that list in terms of their generosity, how would you make the case Doug to others who are not yet sold on being involved in community to the degree that you are, that that's something that they need to start to do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I think one of the things that starts with is raising awareness of the problem. You know, I think, Again, I, as I said, I was shocked by the level of food insecurity in this country. You know, people think that the U.S. has the resources that that wouldn't be such an issue, but it is. You know, and the, the bifurcation of the economy continues to drive that even more. So, one is, I think, really raising awareness, and then two, making it simple. You know, for people to take action. I think um, Giving Tuesday now is a great example of of giving. You know, let uh, allowing people to make a difference. But in a very simple, uh, very simple way, I think social media, you know, it's um, it's a thing uh, that has its pros and cons. But I think one of the pros is that brands can use their reach and their platform to reach consumers with messages like this, things that would be very difficult uh, before, uh, you know, letter writing or phone calling campaigns. Versus, you know, you take brands with millions of followers who can take a day and devote that day to this issue, you know, uh, or other issues. We've done that in the last few weeks to other issues as well. So I think that's another big thing is just how um, accessible those consumers are now via brands and social media.
0: Well, you know, what you said early on uh, about the awareness, it's it's been fascinating to me as somebody who's put a lot of energy into trying to get people aware of uh, the reality of hunger in this country and particularly childhood hunger, uh, right in early March as all the schools closed, mid-March. Uh, for many people, it was the first time as they started to hear stories about kids depending on schools for their, their breakfast and lunch, it was the first time that they started to appreciate the magnitude of the issue of childhood hunger in the United States. So like any other inflection point, uh, you know, we want that to that part of this to, to last, to be a lasting impression so that people uh, continue to stay involved. Uh, Tanya, I know, you know, part of your job is is persuasion. You're not just a chef, but you've been an advocate for us. We mentioned earlier that you've been uh, up to the state capitol in Sacramento. Um, one of the most important uh, things that we can be doing Uh, as a community who cares about these issues, is the advocacy work that impacts policy so that uh, SNAP, uh, what we used to call food stamps, the SNAP program, uh, is available for more families. There's been uh, legislation passed and a program created called Pandemic EBT, uh, Electronic Benefits Transfer, so that uh, folks whose kids were getting school meals uh, now get the value of those meals on their uh, pandemic EBT card. Uh, when you go talk to, uh, legislators or policymakers, what kind of, uh, issues do you try to make them aware of Tanya? Uh,
2: well, I mean, like I said, uh, before, you know, the community, the town of Oakland, you know, my, my old location was right in the center of a food desert. And, you know, I talk about these corner stores that sell sugary beverages and, you know, um, snacks that have zero nutritional value. And, you know, talk about how firsthand I visited the schools that receive the benefits of No Kid Hungry and what a difference the teachers and the principals have told me uh, that it makes and the performance of the kids and the attendance of the kids. And just to see the kids kind of light up when they get their snacks. And I just use those, you know, those examples. And also just think, you know, talk about how, um, you know, and I think Doug mentioned it, we just, this this country just has so much uh, bounty, especially the Bay Area. And it's just shameful if we can't do the basics of seeing that our children are fed.
0: I, I often feel like if there was one thing that I could uh, do, you know, wave the proverbial magic wand, it would be to get uh, as many people as possible to have the experience you've had of going into a school, being in a classroom when kids get their breakfast. Um, and you know you just realize that this is a it can be a life changer for them. Um, and we there's a lot of challenges that go into solving poverty, a lot of challenges that go into solving food insecurity. but uh, when it comes to actually feeding kids, that's a solvable problem. That's something, we know how to do. Doug, you were talking about uh, ramping up the supply chain, right? We've we've got the food, we've got the food programs, we've got the systems. Uh, if we could get the will uh, to connect kids who are eligible and in need to the programs that exist for them, uh, this is one aspect of, of of this problem. Even during the time, frankly, of of COVID nineteen, this is one aspect of the problem uh, that I think could be solved. Um, so. Thank you both so much for what you're doing. Uh, these are hard times for everybody, and it's important for people to hear voices of inspiration and voices of people who day in and day out um, go to do their job and on top of doing their job uh, are impacting the community as you are Doug Vandeveld at, at, at Kellogg and as you are Tanya Holland uh, in, in Oakland, California. Thank you both so much for being with us on Ad Passion and Star.
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure. Great. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate it.
0: Thanks. And thanks for Kellogg's incredible, generous support. I'm Billy Shore. You've been listening to Add Passion and Stir. Uh, I hope you'll continue to look at our past episodes. You can go to addpassionandstir.com and you can rate us, rank us, subscribe, uh, and share episodes with friends and family on behalf of all of us at Share Strength and the No Kid Hungry Campaign. My sister, Debbie Shore, our producer, Paul Woodle, uh, and Kelly Griffin, Uh, thanks so much for listening to Add Passion and Stir.